From the lava pit of a long dormant volcano rise two unexpected heroes, Lumpy Bagpipes Jr. and Tipsy Sasquatch. Lumpy met Sasquatch one day, and likewise I'm sure, now they sit and talk about things that no one cares about, the Lumpy and Sasquatch show. Sasquatch and Lumpy, the Lumpy and Sasquatch Show. Welcome to the Lava Pit. So what are we going to talk about on this episode, Sasquatch? We're going to talk about dead sweetheart songs. Right. Tear jerkers. That's right. Splatter platters. <laughs> of course. Teenage tragedy songs. That's right. Death discs. What? <laughs> Rest in peace records. Some of these are real things and some of them I just made up. Yeah. <laughs> you should start a record company called Rest in Peace Records. I should. Anyway, what Ooh. have you got? Why Dead Sweetheart songs? I happen to really love these songs. I think there's something magical about that time when pop music was changing and rock and roll was taking over and we got all these sort of unique songs, particularly in the late 50s into the early to mid 60s that sometimes had very serious themes came from a tradition of other more serious songs, which I think we'll talk a little bit about with our guest. We have a guest coming up. We do. That's exciting. It's uh, Nick Cave, who recorded a CD called Murder Ballads. That's not true. Oh. But Nick, if you're listening... <laughs> come on the podcast. Come on down. <laughs> anyway, I think they're really delightful, and the tone is so unique, and they're really fun to listen to, and we just thought it would be a fun thing to talk about, right? Right, right. So what would you say... I think our guest is going to define a lot of this stuff for us what would you say are the characteristics of a dead sweetheart song well that's a good question i think they have to take place between the mid to late 50s to the mid to late 60s i think that's the era we're mm-hmm. talking about here they have to be pop songs in other words rock and roll pop r&b coming out of that influence we're not talking about country songs here or things like that and they have to have a sort of innocent quality where tragic events just sort of happen and it leaves these teens in great tragedy. It's not like... Do they always have to be teens? Well, I I don't know. That's a good question. There's something beautifully innocent about this. And I think one of the chief influences of this style of music, for me, is Romeo and Juliet, right? The great Shakespeare play. What people think of when they think of that play is they think of it as a love story. But, of course, it's a huge tragedy. It's these two teens that can't be together because the families keep them apart. And then in finding their ways to be together, something horribly tragic happens and they die young with all of the possibilities still ahead of them. So in 1964, there was a song by The Reflections called Just Like Romeo and Juliet. Now, it was a hit song, but it's not precisely one of these Dead Sweetheart songs. But I bring it up because it is reflective of the types of songs that were going on at the time. And it talks about how, you know, we're young people and we have our whole futures ahead of us and we want to go down in history our love just like Romeo and Juliet and of course you wonder at the time do they even get the fact that it's a tragedy until the very end of the song where I think the last verse says our love's gonna be destroyed like a tragedy just like Romeo and Juliet and I think that's sort of commentary on the types of songs that are going on that it's about this great love and 
this passion of youth and all these wonderful things are ahead of us and then oh it's got to end tragically makes sense that's life actually you and i were talking about perhaps the most famous of these songs which is leader of the pack right and that was a big hit in the 60s and you i believe found a great cover version of that song right yes by twisted sister who i love there was a period in the 80s where i think it was started by skid row and they re-recorded smoking in the boys room yes and then there were some other hair heavy metal bands that were covering these 50s songs and d snyder and twisted sister d if you're listening we love you and twisted sister did leader of the pack and here's the thing about it i like the song we both watched the video which has directing auteur bobcat goldthwaite in it great director watches movies but i can't tell if they're serious or not mm-hmm. the beginning of the video and the video itself is very funny and it says it's rated h for humor so the video is filmed as a comedic piece right but i cannot tell if they recorded the song to be comedic or if they're actually like well let's do a cover of this song probably a little bit of both probably a little bit of both and one of the things we might talk about also with our guest is is d snyder d snyder (laughs) we love you d just how truly sincere these songs are do you know the playwright brian freel yes very well brian freel is an irish playwright he had a a great play in the late 60s called lovers now lovers is a two-part play it's two one acts and act one is called winners and act two is called losers and it's about love and act one winners is about these two teens who have their whole life ahead of them they have this beautiful pure innocent love and they get together on a hillside and have a picnic and talk about their future with everything ahead of them and in that moment everything is perfect and then they die of course and that's the beautiful thing right it's like okay a horrible tragedy has occurred but it's called winners because these two teens had the purest most innocent lovely perfect love and that i think is what's reflected in these types of songs one of the first dead sweetheart songs not the very first but one of the first popular ones was teen angel the thing about teen angel is there's a very strange demise in it is that how you would describe it well yeah i mean it's a little bit unusual because the car stalls out on the train tracks and the boyfriend pulls the girlfriend to safety but then she i don't know she forgets something (laughs) and has to go back to the car and she runs back to the car and then gets hit by the train so that's pretty unusual and this the history of the song is sort of interesting too because this is 1959 and the song at first was banned and most radio stations wouldn't play it because it was so tragic and so it took a long time for it to take off it took months and months and months finally toward the end of 1959 it jumped from like 100 on the charts all the way up to 50 in the space of a week i mean just like that and then it started getting a lot more airplay and it eventually went all the way to number one on the u.s billboard charts i probably because of wolfman jack i bet wolfman jack took care of that so do you think teen angel in greece is supposed to be teen angel from the song no because the teen angel from the song is the girl that dies well this is the girl that dies right okay in the teen angel song the girl dies Yes. In the movie Grease, Teen Angel is played by Frankie Avalon. Yes. So they're not the same Teen no, Angel. I guess they can't. So maybe those two Teen Angels meet in heaven. They meet in heaven. And fall in love. And they have a great romance. And he's all like, hey, you're no Annette Funicello, but you'll do. And she'll say, thanks, because my face was smashed by a train. I'm not at my best. I'm feeling a little under the weather today. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know another one of my favorite teen what's, tragedy what's one of your songs? favorites? The Water Was Red. Yes. I sent you the video for this. Brilliant. <laughs> and it was a amazing i couldn't tell again if it was a 
parody or the real thing. It's a beautiful song. The first verse is about Guy and his girl and they're at the beach and the sun's going down and it's turning the ocean red. Then the second verse is about them swimming and she gets attacked by a shark <laughs> and the water turns red. Oh. And then the third and final verse is about him going into the water, somehow finding the shark. Because <laughs> I guess the shark was just hanging out. The boy's got a knife and he kills the shark and that's why the water's red. So, you know, it's a beautiful, tragic love song about a girl getting eaten by a shark. And, and then a shark being slaughtered by a boy. And then a shark being slaughtered by a boy. And if anybody knows me, they know that I am crazy about sharks. I have dreams about sharks three or four times a week. We'll discuss that in another episode. <laughs> right. So one of the interesting things about that time period with the rock and roll era coming in is that pop culture and particularly pop music was changing because it was being targeted toward a teen audience. And that was happening in pop culture, too. You had all these young superstars and, and stars of the screen, like... Um, James Dean. James Dean is a great example. Montgomery Clift. And it's like, you know... You live hard and, and, and everything is great and there are these sexy stars and then they die young. And there's an idealization of that, right? Oh, yeah. And a lot of it had to do with the cars, too. Because yeah. teens were finally getting to drive cars around. Mm -hmm. and, and you had Steve McQueen as a role model who was driving around fast. And Montgomery Clift had his car accident around that time. So and, and so, yeah. And so fast cars, fast motorcycles. Speaking of motorcycles, I have to give a shout out to a, sort of a silly movie. But my um, wife, Mrs. Sasquatch, would think I was being remiss if I didn't mention the great... Grease 2, which is uh, it's a sequel of the 70s parody movie of the 50s, which is Grease. And Grease 2, it's interesting because a lot of the boys' songs are just these sort of raunchy songs that are secretly or not so secretly about sex, you know. But the girls' songs are about these pure love. She falls in love with this mysterious motorcycle rider and he drives fast and she gets all excited about it. And he drives off a cliff and she's devastated. And it, it's just like one of these songs, except it's been preserved now in movie form. That's amazing. And I don't know if anybody has ever said that about Grease 2 before, that it's amazing. There you go. Live from the Lava Pit Playhouse, the Lumpy and Sasquatch Troubadours present an ode to love and grasshoppers. Hiya, Chris. Oh, hi, Boswell. What you up to? Looking for grasshoppers. That's cool. I just finished reading Romeo and Juliet and listening to dead sweetheart songs from the 50s and 60s. That sounds interesting, I guess. It is. I'm obsessed. Hey, do you want to be my unending love? I don't know. I'm not sure I could really have a cosmic love affair with someone named Boswell. No offense. But it would be so epic. One of us would take this poison pill I found on my way here, and the other one would write a legendary song about our love, and then we'll never be forgotten. Maybe. Can I write the song while I look for grasshoppers? <laughs> of course. You can make it part of the song. Well... I suppose so. As long as I'm home before dinner, we're having meatloaf tonight. My favorite. Yes! I am so excited. Okay, I will declare my endless love for you and then take the pill and you will hold me in your arms until I'm gone. Then you'll drag my body far away from the road so I don't get run over by Mr. Johnson's Buick and then compose your song about me. What will you call it? Make it something beautiful. Um, how about... 
An ode to Boswell on a sunny April afternoon of cricket hunting along Miller's Lane. Perfect! I just knew you'd be the right one as soon as I happened upon you this glorious day. Plus, you lent me a pencil one day during math, and that made me happy. Well, that's what unending soulmates are for, I guess. Here goes! (coughs) Okay, buddy, let's get you off the road. Now let me see. What rhymes with Boswell? Ooh, a cricket! Joining us today on the podcast is Terry McCabe. Terry is the producer and artistic director of City Lit Theater in Chicago. City Lit specializes in adaptations of literary material. Terry is a director and an adapter as well, and we'd like to welcome you to the podcast. Welcome, Terry. Thanks for asking me to be here. Of course. As you know, today we're talking about Dead Sweetheart songs of the 50s, and I thought of you as an expert. Terry and I worked together for several years, and it came to light that you are fascinated by and have a deep love for these types of songs. It's true. And where did this develop from? Was this always true from your childhood? Is this something that you developed over time? What in particular do you like about it? Talk a little bit about your history with these songs. Well, these songs aren't just from the 50s. (laughs) The run of them, the first great one is Teen Angel, which is 1959. And the last great one is Ode to Billy Joe from 1968. Gotcha. But I come to them through my mother's love for country western songs. Because these songs don't spring out of nowhere. (laughs) They go all the way back to these, like, Scottish and English murder ballads in, like, the child ballads. Uh, Francis Child collected all these ballads. Silver Dagger and Mary Hamilton, they all tell a story, and frequently the story involves murder or tragic death of some sort. Lily of the West, these are all sort of, like, great old folk songs from, from centuries ago. And they come here and turn into country western music, especially the country part, not so much the west. It's not so much cowboy ballads, although there's some that are like this, that are cowboy ballads. But all of that sort of like Appalachian hill music. My mom, my mom's favorite country singer was Hank Snow. He's great. And an album that always fascinated me of his that she had when I was, I don't know, like seven or something. It's called When Tragedy Struck. (laughs) And it sounds like Old Shep and The Letter Edged in Black. You know, just a bunch of old country songs where a dog dies, a child dies. (laughs) You know, an aged mother to whom the singer's last words were harsh. Oh, dies. <laughs> and they're all great. I was just riveted by them. Yeah. And then in the 50s, then all of a sudden there's what had never really been around before, which is a large, thriving teenage market. So these songs, the sort of genre, are specifically about teenage life. And the thing that's great about teenage life is that it's really sort of completely innocent. Yes. Mm-hmm. Except for hard drugs or committing a felony, you really can't ruin your life at 18. So the songs that want to be this kind of song right. that are aimed at teenagers are all about sort of like my girlfriend died or my boyfriend died. Mm-hmm. Yeah, my, my favorite uh, is probably <clears throat> Last Kiss. Last Kiss. Uh, which is a great tune about someone's girlfriend dying in a car crash. Pretty intense, but, but a lovely little ditty. <laughs> yes, and what's important about it, she dies in a car crash. <clears throat> But the song is Last Kiss, because what matters to the singer is that they had their last kiss. They had their last kiss, Mm -hmm. right. You know, the romance is made perfect. 
And it's fascinating all of the different types of figures that cropped up uh, in this genre during the period. You and I have talked in the past about how the Big Bopper wrote a song called Running Bear. Yeah. He's of course known for Hello Baby. Is right. that Chantilly yeah. Lace? Chantilly Lace. Nicely, nicely done. Right? <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. And uh, and he died in the plane crash with Richie Valens and Buddy uh, Holly. Buddy Holly. Yeah. But he was also known for this song that right. uh, became. Which he didn't a, sing. He wrote it and he produced it. And I forget the name of the singer. Now, for people who aren't familiar with this song, well, A, shame on you. <laughs> but B, it's about Running Bear, who was an Indian brave, and he loved Little White Dove. And their <laughs> tribes kept them apart in this sort of Romeo and Juliet kind of way. For some reason, they swim to the middle of the river to meet. I'm not sure what they intended, but yeah, they may, got to the middle of the river. Maybe there'd be a big, a big rock there or something they could stand on. Perhaps, <laughs> although that's not mentioned in the song. <laughs> Let us assume that they had sure. some sort of end game here. Yes. They swam out to the river to meet and they drowned, presumably in each other's arms. Right. So again, the romance is perfect. Right, the romance is perfect. Mm -hmm. It ends tragically, but beautifully. Yes, and these all end tragically, but there is no evil in any of them. Huh. These grow out of murder balance. Nobody's ever murdered. That's interesting. It's all some sort of random accidental thing, like a mm -hmm. car crash or right. swimming to the middle of the river and drowning. Thing. You know, nobody ever has it in for anybody in these. So. You're talking about the murder ballads, so just to shift gears a little bit, I do want to talk about something a little more akin to a murder ballad, but was also popular during this time because of the folk revival, and that's the Kingston Trio had, I think, a number one hit with their song... Uh, Tom Dooley? The Tom Dooley. Yeah, which, about men who's being hanged. Men who's being hanged. I think it's a Civil War era song. Yeah, it's something mm. from the 19th century. It's based on a real case that happened in, I think, North Carolina. Around the turn of the century, this ballad started to be recorded by folk artists and that sort of thing, and then was picked up by the Kingston Trio during this period, and it became a big hit for them. And that's sort of a slightly different but related thing, right? Yeah. Tom Dooley's not a teenager. I forget why he's being hanged. Has he killed someone? I think he's raped and murdered or some horrific he's, crime. Yeah, he's done something awful. Yeah, and now he's sad and alone and about to be hanged. Right. And it's this beautiful, lilting tune. You know, it's interesting because it did become popular in the same sort of period, but it is a different thing. Somehow. Yeah, It's yeah. a different genre. And it, yeah, and it comes out of the sort of country western stream again. Yeah. I mean, it's a folk song, which is to say comes out of white tradition. Gotcha. There really isn't a black tradition of Dead Sweetheart songs. That's interesting. You know, there's Stagger Lee, but that's not by any means a Dead Sweetheart song. Right. And it is a song that has evil in it. That's true. You know? Yeah, there's, there's um, murder and malice. Yeah, he shoots Billy the Lion and the bullet breaks the bartender's glass, <laughs> which I think means the mirror behind the bar. I don't think the bartender's drinking oh, the job. So the, the glass <laughs> means, yeah, the mirror. Yeah. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah, That's a great insight. I could be wrong, but I think that's what it is. I wouldn't hire a bartender who's drinking. No. 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 So I think it's the mirror behind the bar. Yeah. You know, but Stagger Lee comes out of black music, mm -hmm. and it was also a big hit in the 50s. Right. Lloyd Price had the big hit with it in, I want to say, 56. Yeah, mid-50s. Yeah, but it's the only, that I can think of anyway, death-related pop song in this period that comes out of the black tradition. Certainly all the Dead Sweetheart songs come out of the white tradition that comes out of country western that comes out of English and Scottish ballad. Now the song that, that I think most of our listeners probably have heard is Leader of the Pack. A leader of a motorcycle gang who has an accident and this right. poor child is singing this song mourning mm -hmm. his death. Was that a big phenomenon? 
do we know? Oh, sure. I remember that was a hit. It was a huge hit. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the Shangri-Las are the singers mm. on that. It's sort of that girl group thing, which is not unrelated to rhythm and blues. But you know, Shangri-Las were a white group. And the guy who wrote it, the guy who produced it for them, Shadow Morton. Huh. I, wonder, mm-hmm. I think that's right. Again, a white guy. But they also did Give Us Your Blessing. Not a big hit, but a great Dead Sweetheart song. The boy and the girl go to, I believe it's her parents, and say, we want to get married. Please give us your blessing. And the parents decline to do that because they don't approve of the guy. Yeah. Or they think they're too young. And so the boy and the girl, they drive off. They're, you know, there's tears in their eyes. And so they can't see the road real clearly. Of course. Mm-hmm. Sure. And they're killed in a horrific car accident. Oh. And the parents <laughs> come to the site. And of course, the last, they're haunted because the last thing they heard them say was, give us your blessing. Oh. And they didn't do it and now they're dead. Yeah. That'll you, teach them. Think about that, parents. <laughs> uh, one of the things that, that kind of delights me about these songs is that they tend to typically be quite upbeat. They were very of the era in terms of fitting in with the pop music and that yeah. kind of stuff that was coming along. And so years later, people listening to them sometimes feel like, oh, this is off-putting. This yeah. is strange. Yeah. In <laughs> fact, Eddie Vedder and Pearl Jam did a version of Last Kiss about, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 yeah. years ago. I think ago. I heard it, yeah. And it's, it's like... It's a pretty great version. As I it's kind of it great, it's, but it's much more seriously heartfelt. People today, I think, hear that and they're like, oh, this is really, this is a heartbreaking sound, no matter what his intention was. But it comes out of this tradition of these songs that were heartfelt, but had this sort of like upbeat, they were upbeat little yeah. ditties. Yeah. yeah. You mentioned Last Kiss. There's like a really tragic line that's then followed by the... Um, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I say, all these songs are innocent. Right. Not only is there no murderer in any of them, but just the tone and the emotional quality is just sort of like innocent and straightforward and also heartbroken. Well, speaking of heartbreak, I did want to bring up your love of these songs at one time inspired you to put together a show. Oh, you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, you know, it doesn't really exist. It was never done. <laughs> uh, it's in a drawer at home. But yeah, a friend of mine and I, and I still think this is a great idea for a show. Yeah. It's to do a review of Dead Sweetheart songs. Mm-hmm. All set in a high school that's among the senior class. It's coming up on graduation day. And the name of the high school is... What's that woman's name? The, the woman who wrote On Death and Dying. Kubler-Ross? Yes, Elizabeth oh, Kubler-Ross yeah. High School. That's the name of the high school. Wow. That's, that's good. Wow. You know, and all of these songs happen, the stories in them, all happen on like the same long weekend leading into graduation day. Oh, wow. And so the valedictorian of this class keeps changing (laughs) yeah and so that was it and you know we shoved every one of these songs in there and so there's too many songs in it and Ode to Billy Joe great song far too slow for our purposes in this brisk funny review right so you know it didn't really work but I remain convinced that it's a great idea someday Heartbreak High that was called Heartbreak Heartbreak High 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 maybe someday it'll resurface in some form yeah (laughs) in the days now of jukebox musicals sure that's true yeah exactly it would be a great jukebox musical it would be yeah absolutely thank you again for joining us we wanted to give you an opportunity to talk just briefly about some of the upcoming projects that you've got at your theater great yeah here at City Lit Theater we are currently running the picture of Dorian Gray world premiere adaptation by Paul Edwards three time Jeff winner for best adaptation it's his second ever world premiere adaptation of the picture of Dorian Gray (laughs) he and I did a completely different very Victorian one 26 years ago at the old Wisdom Bridge Theater wow and for City Lit he's done a completely different adaptation. This one is set, not Victorian at all, set in New York City or an unnamed city that resembles New York. Sure. 
from 1970 through 1984, leading into the um, AIDS and crack cocaine epidemics wow. in New York wow. in the early 80s. And so Dorian is seen as this sort of patient zero character right. who shows none of the physical symptoms of either epidemic because they're all, they all show up in the picture. It's a really smart adaptation. And, Very cool. Know, it runs through April 15th. Great. So just at the end of last week, we started rehearsals for world premiere translation of Prometheus Bound. Nick Ruddle, a longtime founding artistic director down at Court Theatre, internationally acclaimed translator mm -hmm. of Greek drama, we commissioned the translation from him. It's a show that he and I have talked about on and off for like 25 years. The idea is that all the supernatural characters in the play who have no connection at all to the human race are all played by giant puppets. So they don't have, nice. to, they don't have to be played by actors so they don't have to look like human beings. They can look like whatever we want them to look right. like. The Titan god Oceanus, who enters on a flying sea monster, <laughs> he looks like the ocean. And he doesn't have a body. That's cool. And he's on a flying sea monster, which of course doesn't look like an actor either. The only two characters in the play who have a connection to the human race are Prometheus himself, who's of course the savior of the human race, right. gave us fire and all this other stuff. And Io, who is a human, she's like Prometheus being brutally and unreasonably punished by Zeus. She's been changed into a cow. Uh, and she's pursued by a gadfly who constantly bites her. That's unfortunate. So those two characters are played by humans, played by human actors. And that's cool because because awesome. Io can basically not stop moving because she's being bitten by the exactly. gadfly. And Prometheus is, of course, chained, chained to, a, to a rock and cannot move. So that's right. very interesting. Yes, yeah. So those are two humans. He can't move. She can't stand still. That's and then great. there are thousands, literally thousands of characters played by puppets because the chorus of the play are the 3,000 daughters of Oceanus. That's a big chorus. Yeah, it's a big chorus. <laughs> and uh, that begins performances at the end of April. Runs into June. Well, that's terrific. So, one of the things we do on the show is we always like to end with a question for the guest. Lumpy and Sasquatch decide to go for an afternoon excursion. Sasquatch drives the motorcycle and Lumpy rides in the sidecar. While on their outing, they travel through Gloom and Doom Gulch, whip around Dead Man's Curve, and speed up the peak of a thousand kisses and down the hill of a thousand tears. Since they're both always hungry, they decide to stop for donuts. While Lumpy and Sasquatch enjoy their sweet snack, who chokes on a maple bacon long john and who lives to sing the sad tale? Oh, which are the two of them you mean? Yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to go with Lumpy Chokes and Sasquatch Sings. That's probably right. That's that's true. I, I don't like it from my point of view, but it's probably <laughs> what would happen. No, just know that if you died in a tragic way, I would write a sad ballad about your death and sing it to our listeners. Great. We'll go out on that note. So thank you, Terry. <laughs> thank you. So that was our interview with Terry McCabe, who was so... Great to come and talk to us about Dead Sweetheart songs. And honestly, probably one of the most knowledgeable people in the world about them, it sounds like. I, I learned a lot. <laughs> yes. Once again, thank you to Terry. Thank you to you, our audience. Remember, like us on Facebook at Lumpy Sasquatch. Follow us on Twitter at Lumpy Sasquatch. We're now on iTunes. And they don't let just anybody on iTunes, people. That is this week's episode and remember we're going to every other week now so don't expect us next week the week after that we'll have something else special for you bye 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 the lumpy and sasquatch theme was written by bob garrix 
Our introduction was recorded by Kimberly Logan. Lumpy and Sasquatch's artwork was designed by Jake Friend. Sasquatch and Lumpy, the Lumpy and Sasquatch show.